are you? I am fucking fantastic. I'm here with you, which Fuck always yeah. enriches my life. Likewise. Literally, favorite part of my week. Same. I actually realized like a couple days ago that you're actually the only constant person in my life. Girl. Currently. <laughs> I mean, you, have, you live with Johnny, so you like see him regularly. But, you know, even at work, my regulars like aren't like always like, it's not like I know I will absolutely see this person every week. I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes I will, I sometimes go out of I town. Yeah, I get too busy with work. Yeah. Yeah. You're actually the only consistent thing in my life. Every so single thank week. thank you. I'm very yes. grateful for you. Same. Same. <laughs> Literally every week without fail. Um, yeah. It's honestly a miracle knowing how terrible I am at like talking to people and getting in contact with people. So <laughs> everyone knows. Julia. Julia knows. <laughs> hey, girl. The struggle is real. Uh, it's because we're meant to be. We uh I know. Every time we talk, I'm like, mm, are we sisters from another mister? Is that what happened? I think so. Yes. I think that's what it is. Totally. Yes. So what have you been up to? Not a ton. I did see LCD Sound System over the weekend. Fuck. You told me you were going to see that, and I told you yeah. that. How the fuck was that? I love them. So they have a residency at Brooklyn Steel for a oh. month. Damn. And okay. Yeah. So I was like, ah, yeah. and. Full disclosure, I know the one song. I know Oh Baby. That's it. That's the only song I know. And I was like, yeah, for this amount of money, for a non-resale ticket, I, that's that's a, an appropriate amount of money to see it performed live. And it turns out that like all the songs basically sound like that, which I don't have a problem with because I enjoy the song. So I was like, oh, okay, great. Uh, I, had, I had a great time. It's, you know, and it was, I, I think I saw them two or three weeks into the residency and it was fucking packed and Damn. if you haven't been to Brooklyn Steel it's a huge venue it's uh mostly GA I believe I think there might be seats on the second floor but it's all GA and it was like Sunday night wall-to-wall packed damn yeah that's crazy that sounds like a lot of fun though it was a great time yeah you know besides being just like a human cesspool in general but you know of course yeah, yeah. I was like well I'm getting every every Everything. disease here yes you know? hopefully I've had a good run <laughs> Hopefully a penicillin shot on the way out. Like, let's fucking... <laughs> well, not for me. I'm allergic, so I can't get the penicillin. Oh, my God. Fuck, Monique. How did I forget? This is how I accidentally kill you. God damn it. Okay. <laughs> because you just randomly carry penicillin on you? You know? Some people have EpiPens. You have a penicillin pen. You know, I just got that, that bread mold in my pocket. You know me. You got to. <laughs> Who doesn't love a moldy bread? Uh, it's funny because from what I understand, a lot of doctors after they go through medical school, they forget like the biochemistry stuff. So they don't really know like the medicines. Um, and I remember I found out I was allergic to penicillin as everyone does, you know, because you have an allergic reaction. So I'd had a surgery and then the doctor prescribed me penicillin. I broke out in hives. And I was like, okay. And then they're like, try this antibiotic instead. And then I broke out in hives and then they're like, okay, try this one instead. And I broke out in hives. And then I was like, hi. So, um, what the fuck? So basically, <laughs> I had to go to the uh, and the doctor's office. This particular um, surgeon had an office in the hospital, so he okay. had to call the hospital pharmacy and say, "Okay, what doesn't have penicillin in it?" Because there's a lot of things that are like tied with penicillin or like yeah. laced with it. Um, oh my so god! So I used to have a, a little card that I carried with me that had like all the different 
ones listed. Yeah, of like, this is good, this is good. Yeah. That's uh, my bueno. And I lost it, so now I just roll the fucking dice. Fuck, dude. Living on the edge, baby. <laughs> you are wild, Monique. I guess so. Damn. Yeah. All right, savage. Savage, no family you, selling for me. Yeah, zero fucks given. I love it. <laughs> Have you started your Christmas shopping? I'm just realizing, like, how are your holiday shopping? I'm just realizing, like, how close it is. Uh, yes. I am actually pretty good on it. I think Damn I'm it. missing three gifts. Oh, my God. Now you're making me feel even worse, Moni. God <laughs> damn it. Okay. Well, if it makes you feel better, it was more of a scouring the internet and just being like, purchase, 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 purchase. But, like, I don't have most of them in my possession. They're en route. Okay, but they're in transit. Yeah. The hard work is done, which was picking everything. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I have my, my grandmother's I'm missing and like like one of my nephew, like my nephew. But otherwise, I th- I'm pretty sure I, I have to go through the list again. But I think I'm, I think I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm guessing from your reaction and your tone, you are not in the same boat. I like realized what the date was this week and I was like, oh... Yeah. yeah, I should be, like, getting on that, probably. Oh, which, speaking of me also not being aware of any of the dates, uh, I'm sure this will, it will be passed by the time this comes out, but happy Hanukkah. Um, fuck. fuck yeah. Totally shit the bed on that one. Lahayim. Um, yeah, that's right. To life. Um, yeah, as Amy stated, we don't really know what the date is at any given time we just know what we need to do on a particular day like on wednesday we have to do this uh so i realized it because of proximity to christmas uh how close we're getting to christmas uh because i'm i'm a catholic person i realized that oh fuck hanukkah was happening and i'm so in my own bullshit completely forgot about that Right past us. Fuck. Yeah. So sorry about that. Uh, but I hope for those who celebrate, you had a wonderful Hanukkah. Yeah. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Well, I'm glad you remembered. I didn't even fucking remember. So there you go. <laughs> Did you watch things? Finish watching things? <sighs> Did I watch things? That's a really... That's a really fair, good question. I did not finish anything. I did okay. not finish White Lotus. I'm still waiting on that. I feel like, weirdly, I I ended up starting something else, and I'm 100% blanking on it right now. What about you? Have you been watching anything this week? I finally finished Ted Lasso. Fuck. I'm super behind on that. Yeah, I was too. Uh, oh. I, it literally just came to me what the show was, which was the one you fucking told me that I and had missed apparently the whole third season of What We Do in the Shadows. Yes. So yes. I watched a bunch of What We Do in the Shadows this week. Yes. Amazing. Oh, it was okay. really amazing. It was really funny. I don't know how I somehow missed that, like an entire season had come out, but that's why you got blew me. My mind. She was like, I'm rewatching the third season. And I was like, the who's he, what's he? <laughs> and I was like, I need to get on that clearly. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm still behind. I haven't watched the entire third season yet, but I'm I'm also watching it. It's I mean it's just a joy and a delight. It really is. It's and really just Laszlo makes Laszlo. me feel all the feelings in my pants. Oh my god, yes, Matt Berry. He stole <laughs> Matt my heart. Barry. And uh, Guillermo honestly is just yes. so fucking funny. I can't handle him. Ah, uh, so good, so good. So yeah, I was very happy you uh, told me about that, but it did put me off my white lotus. Yeah. finishing ability. Yeah. Here's the other thing, which I realize is very difficult and it's 
a lot of times why even if I do have some free time, I don't end up finishing a show is because I start these shows with Johnny and then I like kind of have to finish them with him. I feel bad if I like watch it without him, but he'll be like, oh, I'm going to like play a game or I have to go to work or something like this. And I'm like, see, this is why relationships are, are fucking trash. There you go. You watch all the but TV you want, like, you want. I can't keep watching the show because I have to watch it with my significant other. Get the fuck out of here. I know. No way. No way. <laughs> I sort mean, I your could, schedule out. That's true. I could just be a trash person <laughs> and watch it without him and then be like, act super surprised. Like, oh my God, I didn't see this coming. Oh my that's God. That's crazy. Yeah. Like they died? What? <laughs> Whoops. Spoiler. Yeah, totally. Uh, I don't know. I'm I'm very much a person that I like to um, like vet things in advance. Okay. And then re-experience Smart. it with someone else and kind of like enjoy their reactions to the thing. I love that too. That's always really fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, fuck you. I'm not waiting for you. There you I'm go. I'm just going to tell you how amazing it is. And then we can watch it again together so I could like watch all your reactions. Yes. I can experience yeah. again vicariously through you. Exactly. Fuck I love yes. that. Yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. Any good holiday movie rewatches have you been doing? Or are you not quite I've done at that none of them. level yet? I've done none of them. Uh, I did find out when I went to my parents for Thanksgiving that my mother loves a Hallmark Christmas movie, which there are thousands of. There are. I was, okay. Uh, and you were subjected to this repeatedly? I mean, I didn't sit and watch them with her, but whenever I came in the room, she's watching them because uh, my parents have like a little mini TV in the kitchen. So when she was doing stuff, there was always a Christmas Hallmark Christmas movie on. And she's someone, I mean, I don't know why I was surprised. It was very on brand for her. She likes things that are very superficial. Okay. She doesn't like things that make you think a lot that aren't dramatic. She doesn't like. There's no twists. With, like, There's no surprises. No. Yeah. She doesn't like things that you really need to pay attention. Like any, like Breaking Bad would be like her worst nightmare. She'd be like, what the fuck is happening? Who's that guy? Who's that guy? What's um, going on? Why are they killing people? She just wants every everything to look nice aesthetically. She wants of the course. people to look nice aesthetically. I mean, yes. No uggos. Get out of here. No uggos, obviously. Yeah. Which, you know, Hallmark, they're nailing it. It's all very, like, generic... <laughs> classically attractive people yep uh you know you know what the storyline is really before you even watch it you know this city girl goes home for christmas and is trying to like work on a ranch and like finds a guy who's a country it's some bullshit and they're like they're opposites but it's christmas and they're in love and it's the magic of the season wait are you writing this down monique this is brilliant they're gonna they're gonna (laughs) need this later and then when they get really close and they're going to start, it's like, are they going to kiss? Are they not? And then there's a light snowfall. And then that gives them the cue to kiss. But like nice kid, like no Frenching, you know, no. we got to keep this cute. No. This is Hallmark. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's very much my mom's vibe, uh, which is not anything of no. who I am. <laughs> no. I, I would need to be severely drunk and or intoxicated in some way to enjoy any of that. Yeah, I just don't. And here's the thing. No tea, no shade to anyone who enjoys that. I know lots of people who do. It's just not my my vibe. Yeah. I've never watched a Hallmark movie. I no. can't say that I have. Me neither. Love a good romance book, though. Again, like, no. No judgments, but No, yeah, but that's because we're like horn dogs. Girl. <laughs> Facts. 
Um, the, when I found That's out, different. when I found out there was like raunchy, like very illicit, descriptive sex scenes in books, I was like, oh, uh, yeah, hi, I'm reading all the time, like all the time now. You, can, I'll get all of those books. <laughs> this is amazing. Why isn't everyone on this constantly? I'm obsessed with you. I'm obsessed with you. <laughs> Like, thank you for not thinking I'm a weirdo because I'm just like constantly writing smut. I'm I I can't even handle it. I love it so much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I so last night I kind so I have a friend of mine from high school that we were really close, and I was like the maid of honor at her wedding, and then just you know we kind of drifted apart just because our lives are really different. You know, she lives in Miami. She's married. She has kids. She has a business. She has a mortgage, you know, and I'm like, we live different girl in yeah. New York city, you know, trying to figure my fucking life out. I just are, you know, she has like a lot of like grown up responsibilities and I don't, and it's, you know, it's just, our lives are different. So a lot of times people can just kind of drift apart. Uh, not cause you know, anything happened or whatever. So she was texting me last night, and it turns out that now she's, like, a total murderino. Like, she's obsessed with Snapped and Dateline and ID and, like, all all of the things. All of the things. And so she's like, did you watch this documentary and this documentary? And so, <laughs> which is wild to me. Oh, it's, my God, Because I, I, I don't yeah. really have friends other than you who are like that. My friends, like, put up with me sharing facts that they really don't want to know anything about. <laughs> So she, she's texting me and she's, you know, we're talking about different documentaries and series that had come out in the last couple of years and what we'd seen. And she asked me if I'd see the, the Hotel Cecil one. And I said, I watched part of it, but I kind of knew where it was going and I didn't really want to subject myself to that. And like the internet sleuths making it about themselves. She's like, yeah, it was really fucked up um, because not just what happened to Lisa Lamb, but everything that like the history of the building and everything that happened there. I was like, oh, I was like, I mean, I already knew all that because like in high school and like grade school I was already like researching that kind of shit and she's like yeah I had no idea I was like <laughs> and then I go to her so we went to a private Catholic high school and I go you remember that I wrote my senior thesis on serial killers in private Catholic high school and she's like bro I had I don't fucking remember that I'm like yes I've always been a fucking psycho like this is like not new because she's saying that like after she got married that she got into all this shit her husband's really freaked out about it and I'm like, no, no, no. This has been my baseline since birth forever. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so fantastic. I don't think I knew that about you. Yeah. That you had I've always been a fucking a psycho. Fucking, I mean, I knew that. But, like, that you had written an essay. <laughs> like, in the best way. I mean. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, like, I'm, like, really impressed right now, actually. Oh. Yeah. Thank you. Fuck Yeah. Yeah, the the whole thing was about like nature versus nurture of like which. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm intrigued. <laughs> right? I how did that go over? I'm, I'm. No one gave a fuck. They didn't care. It was fine. Yeah, they're like you. You had sources. It was well written. Like great. It's your point. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Which incidentally, she, uh, my this friend of mine, she's a big uh, Star Trek fan. Okay. And her senior thesis was about how Star Trek predicted the future and like the technologies and stuff that we have now were all predicted in star trek yeah those are very different mentalities mm -hmm. yeah totally yeah. wildly different yeah but now she's come to the dark side yes. Woo! 
One of us. <laughs> us. One of us. One of us. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, and I was like, bro, you should listen to my fucking podcast. And she's like, I did. I tried to once, but it was so interesting. I couldn't get any words on Okay, I'll take that. That's okay. a hell of a fucking compliment. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny because the, the friends of mine that I have who do listen to the podcast are the type that they have to listen with, like, undivided attention. Like, Donna is one of those people. And I'm like, okay. oh. No, I mean, I, I, I think podcasts are great, like, when you're folding laundry and doing some, like, bullshit work. But Don is like, no, I have to like sit and, and like very focus. intentionally listen. I'm like, not me. I I can kind of go both ways on that because I have done like other tasks while I'm listening to it and been fine and still like retained the whole story. But then other times I can just tell that I'm not. Sure, yeah. I'm there's not there's a time. Yeah. There's a point where the where my brain like goes into like you're just not retaining any of this, so just yes. turn it off. Put yes. on the hairspray soundtrack or something and that's there you go (laughs) uh i have taken to when i write my stories for the week listening to just like rain sounds as kind of like a white noise thing and weirdly working for me pretty well there you go not gonna lie it's not something i've ever like tried before but i tried just like straight white noise but it was just too much honestly yeah i would imagine it's like the rain is the rain is fine. Although it's very disorienting because then I'll like take my headphones off and I'm like, wait, it's not pouring rain outside. Like it's sunny. I'm like, oh good. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's very soothing. Yeah, I would imagine so. See, but I like for me, I'm one of those people that when it's raining, I just want to be like curled up and watching oh, something. Yeah, warm and toasty. Awful. Some yeah. hot chocolate, maybe. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's, I'm more like a soup and a champagne because I'm a classy bitch, clearly. <laughs> soup and a champagne. Yeah. I love that. If there was a restaurant around here that had that deal, I would go. <laughs> Fuck yes. Marketing right there. Get on it. Um, yeah, no, I get teased endlessly about enjoying soup. A soup lot. is amazing. There's so many different kinds. And it's like the only thing that truly like makes me feel warm to my bones yeah. in the winter. Yes. Correct. Yeah, it's just great. Anything else? Nope, that's it. That's my big exciting life. I just have exciting murder stories for you. I'm into it. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Do you have, alternatively, a paranormal story for me? I sure do. Um, It's been a minute, guys. So we need a celebrity ghost story. <gasps> Fuck yes. Fuck, Fuck yes. yes. Fuck and yes, I was going to do another one. And then I was going to do another one. And then I randomly came across this one. I was like, oh, I really want to do this one instead. I so. love it. Okay, so how many episodes of? Three. Okay. I was like, did you watch to do research for the story? Three. Amazing. Uh, I didn't need to watch all three, but I did watch three. And I found out, I found out two things. One, there is a series called The Haunting Of that is like, kind of like a companion piece to celebrity ghost stories what yes yes where there's a lot of overlap of celebrities who have done their story on celebrity ghost stories then there's another series called the haunting of and then it'll be like that celebrity and then a psychic will (gasps) go with the celebrity to the haunted place that they had the experience and like go through the whole thing stop girl everything monique what girl the fuck yes that's not happening in this episode, but <laughs> but noted that. for the future. Yeah. Noted. Okay. And Dan Aykroyd 
has a fucking series of haunted hotels. Okay. I mean, that's his fucking jam. Yes. Dan Aykroyd has a series called Hotel Paranormal, where it's people talking about their experiences in haunted hotels. And he he narrates it. That sounds fucking amazing. Dream. Yeah. What yeah. channel or subscription service this is This one is on? the Travel Channel. Okay. But like, I'm, I mean, I love Dan Aykroyd so much because he's like so fucking fascinating in every way. Like he's grew up like in a spiritualist household. Yeah. Doing like, doing, like a cult things. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it was just normal. And like, and then he's, he had, he was studying criminal justice in school and then wrote fucking Ghostbusters and is like, really believes that aliens are real. Yes. And I'm like, he just checks all the fucking boxes. Oh, uh, he really does. Yeah. Ah, fucking Dan Aykroyd. But yeah, none of that has anything to do with the story that I'm talking about today. <laughs> but but you know, pertinent so information, yeah. Absolutely. Know. The masses need to know. Thank you. And you were the one to tell us. Thank you, Monique. You're welcome. That's why we need you. I got you. So I'm going to be talking about Anson Williams. And my sources are Wikipedia and, of course, Celebrity Ghost Stories. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. So right off the top, I'm going to spoil something. There is a dog in this story, but the dog is fine. Okay. Yes. That's not, that is a, that's, that's a spoiler that I want and need yes. in my life. Thank you. You yes, knew that was going to be my first concern. Correct. And I knew it was going to be the concern of a lot of people. And even though while the reveal would have been better, I didn't want people to not pay attention to the story because they were so upset about what may have happened to the dog. So the dog is fine. I mean, probably not. Like it, this happened in the seventies, so the dog's so probably the dog's dead, dead now. Dead, yeah, but um, but not. But from all this. dogs go to heaven, so it's fine. <gasps> but in this story, the dog is fine. PSA has been announced. Thank you for knowing me as a person and knowing I need that information. Of course, I love you so much. I love you. So Anson Williams was born Anson William Heimlich in Los Angeles on September twenty fifth, nineteen forty nine. His parents, Rosalind and Haskell Heimlich were of Hungarian Jewish and Russian Jewish descent. Fun fact, Anson's cousin is Dr. Henry Heimlich, the creator of the Heimlich Maneuver. Oh, shit! Yeah. Damn, choking fucking royalty up in this bitch. (laughs) I love it. Exactly. Anson Williams is an American actor and director best known for his role as Potsy Weber on the series Happy Days. Also, fun fact, I don't know if anyone my age saw Happy Days except me. It was on Nick at Night, and I'm not I at this time. I watched it, and I'm a few years younger than you. Yeah. So I might have been kind of like the last generation here. Probably, yeah. But it's a great series. Great theme song. I feel like yes. everyone still knows it. Yeah. Of course. Also, fun fact, he played the same character in four different series, the comedy anthology series Love American Style, which eventually got its own spinoff show, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, and the 1996 series Sabrina and the Teenage Witch, which I always love those, the like crossover character things. Yes, yes. I was going to say, wait, how the fuck did he fit into like Sabrina the Teenage Witch it was canon, like a, but also happy days. Like, how did that? It it was like a 
I think it was like a dream sequence or something that she was in Happy Days or, okay. or a, a spell that makes that, sense. Like Happy Days happened. Yeah, yeah. It's like it they call like it like that. witchy days or something. It's cute. <laughs> Anson has since become a prominent television director, directing several episodes of Melrose Place, Beverly Hills 90210, Baywatch, The Melissa Joan Hart, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Lizzie McGuire, and The Secret Life of the American Teenager. Turns out, much like Dan Aykroyd, Anson grew up in a home where the paranormal was part of everyday life. He said, quote, The paranormal was discussed a lot in my family. My mother had this natural psychic ability. She never charged for it. She never exploited it. But word of mouth brought quite a few people to the home. So yeah, I was around it from my earliest memories. End quote. Which, this is fucking fascinating to me because this is not my upbringing at all. And if it's anyone's, I would love to hear about it. DM us. Email us another fucking horror podcast at gmail.com, period, instead of the you and fucking. Um, I'm so fascinated by by this kind of thing of like, yeah, totally. This is this is just our life. Yeah. His parents told him that when he was little, every once in a while, when Anton was sleeping, they would peek in his room to check in on him, and they would see an image of his grandmother, who died of breast cancer in her mid forties before Anson was born, watching him as he slept, almost protecting him. The description, I just got gave myself I know. I was like, okay, I want to be comforted because it's your grandmother. Am I still freaked the fuck out? Yes. Well, so here's the thing. So this is what's interesting. The description of what they saw was interesting because Anson described it as, quote, a soft photograph kind of floating by my bed. I mean, you know, not ghost-like, more angelic-like, and very calming, peaceful kind of inner light, end quote. Also, never heard of a description like this. Yeah. That it's like a picture. That's oddly specific, too. Yes, exactly. Of his family, Anson said, quote, If you met my parents, they're not strange or off. I mean, my dad was a tech illustrator at Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and my mother was a homemaker. Very normal people, but this was part of their life. End quote. In 1971 a year before Anson booked the role that would change his life, he was finally able to afford his first new car and he purchased a yellow Volkswagen Beetle. Classic. I mean, got to. Yes, fuck yes. I think this was my dad's first car as well. Was really? A, a Beetle. Yeah, I think so. He said, quote, back then they weren't exactly the safest car, but they were the cheapest car, end quote, which the realness. Oh, Yeah. He was driving one day, and on his drive, he came across a stray German shepherd. He stopped and checked the dog for tags, and there was nothing. So he picked up the dog and put it in the passenger side to take to the pound. But instead of the dog sitting on the seat, he laid down on the floor of the passenger side. Anson was driving over Burbank Boulevard, and after you go over the overpass, you come to a three-way signal. Anson was waiting to make a left turn, when out of the corner of his eye he saw a car coming towards him and the driver who was looking behind at her kids in the back seat ran the red light and smashed head on into the passenger side of the car at 40 miles an hour. Holy fuck, dude. Uh-huh. And oh. because it was 1971, Anson wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Oh, baby, no. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Ugh. 
He said, quote, And I remember very distinctly, from the moment the impact happened, everything turned into extremely slow motion. Time didn't stop, but it almost stopped. Every frame I could remember. It was forever. As my head was going up into the rearview mirror, because I didn't have a seatbelt on at the time, my head hit the rearview mirror and heading towards the windshield. At that moment, I saw the face of my grandma Anne smiling, real as can be. And it was very angelic, beautiful blue eyes, very light skin, the most comforting, kindest look and smile. So kind. And the words she spoke, everything's fine everything's fine. And I knew everything was fine. I can remember everything that happened all the way through. And it was like stop photography. And I was going through the windshield. I almost felt like something pushed me back. It felt like an act. Girl, I know. The level of chills right now. Uh Uh-huh. Oh Uh my God. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. It felt like an hour passed. And then time happened again immediately, end quote. The impact was so severe, Anson's car was almost ripped in half. What? Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. Oh, God. And the thing is, like, the Volkswagen Beetle, when, when they started selling it in the 70s, 60s, 70s, there was a really famous ad that came out where it was called a lemon, but it was released by Volkswagen. And that was like the funny thing of like, this car's a piece of shit, but everyone loved it. But the thing is, the car was a piece of shit. It was like a tin box. Yeah. On wheels. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. But it was the cheapest car. Is that where the term lemon came from? I did not realize that. I don't know if, if that's where, you know, it might be. It's like the Rihanna song that's lemon, which is, I, I don't know. Oh, which is like, Am I adding it like, to the playlist? Girl, yeah, get on it. There's a Drake remix too. Um, oh shit! Okay, it's yeah, it's it's literally a song about like I think driving a shitty car like in the city, basically. Oh shit! Um, yeah, I, it's probably uh, it's probably from that ad. It's there's even like a whole no thing on Mad Men about it. Oh, okay, shit. It's like it was a really famous ad, but like the whole thing was like them being like, yeah, this car's a piece of shit, and people are like, great, let me buy one. Amazing, yeah, yeah. Where do I sign? Cool. <laughs> Reverse psychology. Yes. Anson described the passenger side of the car looking like a tin can that had its lid peeled up. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. When the police arrived and saw the scene, they were certain someone had died. The woman in the other car and her children were fine. And as I said, the dog was fine. Okay. However, if the dog would have been on the seat, the (gasps) dog would have been crushed. But because the dog was lying down on the floor, the rest of the car formed a kind of protective bubble around him. Oh my god! It's like a fucking miracle. It's like the luckiest dog in the world. Holy shit. Yeah. Or the dog's like, I know some shit, so I'm just gonna chill Yeah. That animal, yeah. They know more than us, man. Mm -hmm. Totally. When the police came to check Anson, they were certain he was hurt. He had to be. While he didn't appear to have any visible injuries, except for a scratch on his forehead from when he hit his head on the rearview mirror, but he had to have internal injuries. After seeing the wreckage, the police couldn't believe he was even alive. But Anson kept telling them, I know I'm not hurt. They told him not to move and that he was in shock, but Anson was insistent that he was fine. The police called the ambulance and they took him to the hospital. Anson said, quote, All I had was a scratch. Literally, 
a scratch. They took me to the hospital. They put me through a series of tests. Nothing. I should have been dead. And nothing. End quote. Holy fuck. Mm-hmm. And like not wearing a seatbelt when you get a head-on collision and you don't go flying through the fucking car. Like yeah. through the windshield. Yeah. I feel like the only time that sort of shit happens is when you're either like really drunk or you're on like some other drug that just relaxes you so that you don't tense up. But like if you're sober right, you and you go flying towards the fucking windshield, like. Well, here's the thing. Like he didn't go through the windshield. He like started to and was pushed back. back. Yeah. Like because the thing with like drunk people, like they go flying through the windshield, but because they're not, they don't have the tension of like bracing for impact. They're like loosey goosey and yeah. they're fine. Like, when you hear about those babies that get dropped, like, you know, fucking crazy distances, and they're fine. Because they're like, I'm a fucking baby. I don't know what the fuck. <laughs> I don't have real I don't understand yet. mortality yeah. yet. <laughs> um, a few days after the accident, Anton's father went with him to the yard, where they towed the car to get whatever was left behind in it. And the car was so fucked that his father literally started crying when he <gasps> saw it. Because he was like, how the fuck are you alive after that? Right? Like, how did you walk away from this? That's how fucked this is. Jesus. And while Anson said he doesn't share this story often, except with, I guess, the millions of viewers of Celebrity Ghost Stories, he, <laughs> you know, he did share his experience with his parents, who, of course, believed him. He said, quote, from my deepest part of me, I know she saved my life. There is definitely something beyond now. What it is, how it is, well, that's, I'll embrace that once the time comes. But I know... I know there's something more, end quote. And that is the <gasps> short and sweet and fucking crazy story of Anson Williams that and was his grandmother. so wild. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I came across it and I was like, this is just really sweet and lovely. And I think maybe we need that. It really is. Everyone survived. Yeah. I was really worried. Even when you told me the dog like lived i was like oh god did this family die though are we like so yeah. fucked up that monique's like i'll have to warn her about the dog but like but who gives murdering a fuck about this the family? sweet family like <laughs> who, that's just a tuesday like it's fucking fine uh okay yeah. everyone lived the dog is safe everyone's safe that's so the beetle crazy. didn't make it easy yeah well yeah i mean that makes sense the thing that is nuts to me is the like being pushed back Yes. Like that he didn't fly th through the windshield is nuts. When he yes. wasn't wearing a seatbelt and got like slammed head on. At 40 miles an hour. It's insane. Like it, it just defies. Like that's why like. Literally like, no, like you're physics. Fucked. Like yes. you're actually fucked. Yes. Yes. And he's like, no, man, I'm cool. My grandma and got me. It's like, fine. Yeah. We chilled for like an hour while this was happening. Yep. You know, and it's, I remember years ago. Donna had a, a Day of the Dead party where we all dressed like, you know, calavera makeup and, and she had an altar and we were all asked to bring photos of significant others who had passed. And at the end of the party, we like each got up and like spoke about them. And there was a guy there who initially like didn't want to, like he didn't bring a picture and he didn't want to say anything. And then I guess he got like really wrapped in like everyone's story and then he, he, started talking about his personal experience and because then people were talking about also how like their loved ones who had passed had like come back and like visited them or done a thing or whatever 
And he said his story. And he said, like, how much love does a person have to have to even, like, cross the veil to come back? To even just, like, do a little something like that. Yeah. And and that was just the thing that was running through my mind when I was watching the story and, and working on it. Of, like, wow. Like, it's like, she never even met him. But it's like, that's my grandbaby. Yep. I am ensuring that nothing is going to happen to him. Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking wild. I will say, like, I'm glad he was raised in such an unconventional household where he could tell his family that and, like, have them, one, find comfort in that and, two, like, genuinely believe you and be like, you, like, you survived a miracle, basically. Like, yeah. Yeah, Not be like, we're going to gaslight you because this makes us uncomfortable. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, that being said, I hope he uh, remembered to like wear his seatbelt from then on. And he wasn't just like, yeah, grandma's got it. I'm good. I don't yeah, have to fucking do I this mean, anymore. It seems like that's the case. It seems like he was like, mm, I was like 20, whatever Learned the by fuck. Lesson, and, yeah. Not just like, you know. yeah, grandma's got me. Yeah. Because she might be like, bitch, I'm getting like a heaven mani-pedi. So I can't be watching you all the fucking time. Figure <laughs> your fucking life out. I have things to do. Okay. I have a very active social life. Thanks. Exactly. I'm having tea with Jesus at three. Obviously. What are you doing? What are you doing? Not wearing your goddamn seatbelt. But uh, it's it, from the tone, it seems like he was like, yeah. I wasn't wearing one at the I time. I learned better. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Because I was like 21 and it was the 70s. <laughs> We're just playing fast and loose. Right. <laughs> uh, I was like, listen to Nader. He had fucking, had some good ideas. He got that in there. Implement. you go. There you go. So. Now that that loveliness is done, we're probably going to switch gears. <laughs> we're going to switch. We're going to switch gears. Um, this is the part where I'm always like, now I feel bad that I've done this to us. <laughs> and I'm like, like looking just, around ashamed and like, oh, what am I going to do? I can't pull a story out of nothing now. Okay. Well, guys, just know that uh, if it's as horrific as it sounds like it's, it's probably going to be, you could just go back and listen to the first one all over again. There you go. A little palate yeah. cleanser for you. Boom. All right. So I'm going, I don't want to say rogue. I feel like that's okay. not the correct term. I'm going a little rogue. And when I tell you my first Adjacent source, to rogue. Yes, exactly. So, and when I give you my first source, you're probably going to deduce why. So sources, the book. Mishap or Murder, True Tales of Mysterious Deaths and Disappearances by Eileen Ormsby. Fuck yeah. I've done a couple uh, stories yeah. from her books before, and this is a new one that she's come out with, so I'm very excited. Um, so I've decided to give you guys kind of an unsolved mystery, basically, situation. So okay. you can take from this what you will. Choose your own adventure. Choose your own adventure. Exactly. Oh. In addition to that book, I also used telegraph.co.uk, theguardian.com, independent.co.uk, the New York Times, and good old Wikipedia. Which, by the way, I feel like you guys get like the little notifications all the time to donate to Wikipedia. If you haven't, throw them some money. I fucking like threw them 20 bucks last year and I like made myself feel better for the amount of times I like use Wikipedia all yeah, the for fucking sure. time and like literally have never given them anything. So yeah, and the notifications like, could you give us like two dollars? Literally, they're like a dollar. Anything. We're just like so happy to get your money, and then like honestly, they'll send you like a really nice bulk message thing. But whatever, they send you like a really nice message back. Give mm. them a dollar. There you go. There you go. Skip the coffee tomorrow. Like fucking. God. Where are you getting dollar coffees? Oh no, that's our yeah no five dollars. 
So, like I said, as you can tell from the title of the book, it's going to be a little ambiguous. So I'm going to leave it up to you to decide at the end whether a crime was actually committed here. Mm-hmm. So in 2003, 20-year-old Stephen Hilder was a first-year engineering student and an officer cadet at the Royal Military College of Science at Shrivenham, Wiltshire in the UK. He was also involved in drama and currently in rehearsals for the college play, which was where he met fellow student and drama enthusiast Ruth Woodhouse. After hitting it off, the two began casually dating. Although they would get together once in a while, they mainly saw one another at rehearsals. They both had busy college schedules, and Stephen also happened to be an avid skydiver who liked to spend his free time on the weekends jumping out of planes. Ugh, red flag. (laughs) Red flag. What? What's Uh -uh. sketchy about that? (laughs) No. In fact, skydiving had become something of an obsession for Stephen. He had even once missed an exam to go skydiving, and Ruth would joke, yeah. And Ruth would joke that he would get withdrawal symptoms if he hadn't jumped for a few days. And like, when she says a few days, she like genuinely means a few days. Like two days. Yeah. That's fucking expensive. It is expensive, yeah. And wildly dangerous, but you know, whatever. Relatively. (laughs) See, I just. I think that, like, if you're doing it every couple days, every or whatever, few, whatever that means, you're kind of running out the laws of probability that something's going to happen. You're rolling the dice? I'm rolling that fucking dice. All I'm right. rolling it. I mean... Snake eyes, baby! I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't know. I'm not a gambler. It's not my vice. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. I mean, I just have 7-Eleven, Beyonce's 7-Eleven playing in my head, and that's all that's telling me about gambling. So I don't think that's any better. I don't think that's uh, winning us anything at the casino, this information. (laughs) Definitely not. So Ruth herself had taken her first jump three weeks earlier at Stephen's encouragement, but wasn't sure it was for her. Stephen, on the other hand, would jump as much as possible and would even travel to other parts of the world when the weather became too cold in the UK to go skydiving. At this point, he had about 300 jumps under his belt. Holy shit! Which, he's 20, if he's only been doing it for a few years, like, that's crazy. Holy fucking fucking shit. Yeah. On Monday, June 30th, Stephen and Ruth spent a casual day together at a theme park before parting ways for the evening. Ruth drove south back home while Stephen set off on a 100-mile drive north to the parachuting drop zone at High Baldstow Airfield in Lincolnshire, UK. He was planning on I don't enjoying... think I could, like, fucking date someone like this. Yeah. It's a lot. I mean, you're basically always playing second fiddle to jumping out of a plane, which, like, I could, I could take personally. I, I don't know. I mean, not just that. It's like uh, you're just waiting for the phone call. I mean... If it's th- that often, I think you're... For me, I'd be waiting for the phone call. I'm like, when is, when is it going to be the thing that there was a malfunction or some shit happened or what? Like, I mean, skydiving deaths are, you know, generally pretty rare. They're mainly due to operator error versus, like, the equipment failing because there's yeah. a lot of, like, safeties in place. Still, it's I one don't... of those things that sounds really terrifying, but, like, statistically, it's sure. not... Yeah, that crazy you're really not that likely to die um i mean i'm not fucking i'm a fucking with that like i had an ex whose grandfather was a, a firefighter and 
his grandmother, when there was a fire, would stay up all night listening to the radio to hear if there was, like, any news of, like, any of the firefighters dying. Oh, shit. And then she knew if there was a knock at the door, he was dead. And if the door opened, he wasn't. Like, that's that was her fucking life. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Which, I mean, people need... I'm not going to be a fucking firefighter. People need them. I'm not going to do it. And I couldn't live that sort of unstable life of, like, at any moment. Like, if there's a yeah, knock at the door... Yeah, like, a freak, a tragic yeah. accident. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. I feel you. I mean... So I feel very, like, this is a... For me, in my mind, I understand, like, it's safe, protocols, whatever. But to me, I'm like, if I'm dating someone who's going skydiving this often... I'm just waiting for the fucking phone call. Okay. Girl, you know that adrenaline junkie dick has got to be like fucking bomb though. Like, you know the sex was off the charts. I would hope. I would actually hope. If it wasn't, it'd be like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah, like they literally drive out of planes and like, this dude doesn't fuck? What? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) what the fuck? All right. So you're waiting for the call. I'm in it for the dick. Okay. Just so we're clear. There you go. I totally respect that, though. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm revealing to myself to be a very classy lady on this episode with all my smut talk and my... That's why we love you. Dicking down. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Back to the story. So he's driving north. He's planning on enjoying a solid week of skydiving at the Highbald Stowe Airfield in Lincolnshire which included the Collegiate Nationals, a competition between college skydiving clubs, which the airfield was hosting. Which, Mm. hey, I didn't even know skydiving, like college skydiving clubs were a thing. Yeah, how how do you compete? Is it, if everyone makes it safely, you win? Okay, so I'm going to get into it a little later, but basically it's like when they fly in those formations and then they do different oh that is so like it's like t- synchronized swimming but in the sky but in the sky falling I yes see. i understand okay. yes so Stephen was planning to compete as part of a three-man team named black rain with two of his friends adrian blair and david mason all of whom were considered intermediate level skydivers with similar levels of experience Stephen arrived earlier than the other two who were on a military course and planned to join him later in the week He didn't mind and was hoping to get a few jumps in before they arrived. Now, for the skydiving community, Highbald Stowe is something of a haven. It was known as being a place run for skydivers by skydivers and was very popular with experienced jumpers. There were team training rooms, a bar, a lounge, and bunk rooms where jumpers could rent a bed for the night. Although most of them wouldn't and would instead either throw down a mattress in the corner of the hangar, pitch a tent, or, like Stephen, just sleep in their cars. Skydiving, as we said, is an expensive hobby, and for most jumpers, the mentality was that the money they saved could be better spent on jumps instead of a room for the night. It was a quiet night when Stephen arrived at the airfield, and after a few drinks at the drop zone bar, he retired for the night. When Stephen woke up early the next day, Tuesday, July 1st, the weather was unfavorable for skydiving, and Chief Instructor Uh Paul Hollow officially announced that jumping was canceled for the day. Once the announcement was made, skydivers were free to leave the drop zone and or start drinking. Stephen decided to drive 11 miles to a gas station to buy some junk food. On Wednesday, the following day, Stephen managed to get on one of the just two or three planes that went up before they were all once again grounded due to weather. Dude, what the fuck? He loves it, man. He's like practicing for this competition. Like the competition's later. He like wants to get his runs in. Don't fuck with the weather and planes. Yes, correct. What the fuck? 
He had done the jump with a coach. How old is he? He's like he's 20? 20. Yeah. So he's, you know. His brain isn't formed. No. Not fully. No. There's a... <laughs> It's one of those where, like, there's a very, very ribald saying that, like, wants to come out of my mouth. And I was like, it's too many things already, this episode, Amy. You got to hold a few of them back. (laughs) You can't just, like, rapid fire them all out at once because your brain doesn't have a filter. You got to, like, tuck them in your back pocket for later. That too. Yes. So, yeah, he's only 20 years old. His, His brain's not fully formed and he's, like, high off the adrenaline. So he had done the jump with a coach who had filmed the whole thing for his teammates to critique later. It's unclear whether he packed his parachute himself after landing or if he hired a professional packer instead. Since most skydivers pack their main parachutes themselves and Stephen usually packed his own, it's assumed that he did pack it himself. Afterwards, he left his packed parachute in the kit room, which had racks where skydivers would hang their parachutes to keep them organized and off the floor. It also allowed for easy identification when it was time to grab it for the jump, the kit room at Highbaldstow doubled as a lounge and wasn't monitored. It was open to anyone at the drop zone to come and go as they pleased, which was kind of the general vibe of the skydiving community. They're an extremely close-knit group of people who generally know one another, and they look out for each other. Right. They will frequently leave their cars unlocked with the keys inside while on the drop site, sometimes even with valuable- well, That's just, just fucking wild. Right? I mean, and especially, like, this is 2003, so it's not like, oh, it's like the 1960s and it's fine. Don't worry about it. Like, these people were not raised by Cuban parents no, who escaped communism, they're very, they're, clearly. They were raised by <laughs> British parents, yes. Yes. <laughs> clearly. So, yeah, they'll leave their cars unlocked and, like, literally sometimes just, like, their wallet and phone and shit, like, on the front seat if they're just, like, run, running up to a That's jockey, fucking somewhere. wild, man. Yeah. Steven's teammates, Adrian and Dave, arrived Wednesday evening just in time for the official competition welcome party in the Drop Zone bar. The three teammates drank, talked skydiving, and played silly games like an adult version of Pass the Parcel, which I assume is like British hot potato. I I didn't look it up, but someone correct me if that's incorrect. Most of the 78 competitors had arrived by that time, and they were all hoping the weather would allow the competition to start the following day. Since everyone wanted to be at peak performance, the party stayed relatively quiet and Stephen and his teammates retired early. Unfortunately, when they woke up on Thursday, they found out that thunderstorms were lashing most of the UK, which was currently experiencing a heat wave. Skydivers were told that there wouldn't be any jumping that day and that there probably wouldn't be any the following day either. With skydiving out of the question, the competitors, staff, and other divers known as quote-unquote fun jumpers went looking for something else to entertain themselves. In the morning, Stephen went shopping for something to wear to the fancy dress party that was being held that evening, while Adrian and Dave went to the movies. In the afternoon, a scavenger hunt was arranged, complete with porn and women's underwear on the list, as well as extra points for completing gross tasks. Yep. Stephen. This is like bro shit that I just don't understand. It is. Yeah. I like, I apparently like Stephen ate dog food for the, yeah, the scavenger hunt, um, an attempt to win the prize, which no one could even remember what it was after the fact. Like that's how inconsequential it was. Insignificant it was. Ugh. Uh, that night after a barbecue dinner, the three men got ready for the party and made their way to the drop zone bar around nine party was already in full swing, with many partygoers having been there since the afternoon. The theme of the fancy dress party was to come as any character starting with the letters B, C, P, or A, the acronym of the British Collegiate Parachute Association, who had organized the event. The unimaginative would come as... As James Bond? Oh, no. 
So that's kind of oh. what I thought too, because like characters like makes it yeah. sound like that, but it's kind of just like general things. So oh yeah, so it's like angels and cops and cheerleaders and punks and pilots were like all the examples they gave. Okay. So yeah, it's not, not like imaginative I'm, people. Yeah, yeah. So it's not, and it's not like a character character quote unquote. There were also a few men who came dressed in drag as quote unquote bitches. Stephen Mm-mm. Hilder, in bad makeup and a leather dress he had bought earlier at a thrift store, was one of these quote unquote bitches. Mm-mm. And I believe also Adrian and Dave did this as well. Not cute, but okay. No, I know, right? I mean, I'm not into like basically anything that they're finding enjoyment in. Yeah. Uh, this would not be my, my group of people. Probably not. Here's the no. thing, they're British. Why'd they call them birds? They didn't need any bitches. Right? There you go. Right. Take a note, fellas. They think they're being like cutting edge or some shit. Yeah. It's 2002. Yeah. Relax. So it should probably come as no surprise that skydivers like to party hard. I mean, they literally jump out of planes like it's nothing, so I can't really picture them sitting in overstuffed armchairs and like sipping whiskey. Sure. So when you add up their pent-up frustration and not being able to jump to their natural inclination to party hard, you get one wild party. A natural performer, no one was surprised when Steven grabbed the karaoke mic and started to sing Bon Jovi. He gave a deliberately bad performance with his painted face and skimpy dress to the delight of the crowd. As the night went on, Steven, Adrian, and Dave could be found at various times belting out increasingly cheesier songs into the microphone together. Despite the odds not looking good for getting to jump tomorrow, there was still a small possibility they would begin their competitive jumps in the morning. There's a strict eight hours between bottle and throttle rule for skydivers and pilots both. Not wanting to risk being unable to compete, most people eventually went to bed and the party ended around 2.30 so that they could at least make like a 10 o'clock, 10.30 jump. As is the case with a lot of parties, people's memories were a little hazy afterwards. There may or may not have been some fighting. Stephen may or may not have been involved. It all depended on who you asked and how much they'd had to drink that night. Some skydivers got so drunk that they couldn't remember anything at all. Oof. Which, been like, there. been there, yeah. Not yeah. fun. Mm-mm. On the morning of Friday, July 4th, Stephen, as well as many other competitors, slept in late. The day was already overcast, and since parachuting through clouds was dangerous and usually prohibited, no one was in a rush to get up. And they're all hungover as fuck. But eventually, Stephen got out of his car and joined a game of cards in the Drop Zone Cafe as they waited to see if Chief Instructor Paul Hollow would give them the all-clear to jump. It was touch and go for a bit, but eventually there was a break in the weather and Paul announced that if it held, they could jump after lunch. Stephen, Adrian, and Dave were more than ready to be on the first plane of the day. They were all looking forward to the competition since their team, Black Rain, was doing well and they had come in third in one regional competition and had won the other one they had participated in. Okay. The teammates grabbed their gear from the kit room, which they could do without thinking because each skydiver's parachute harness is distinctive. Once they had their gear, they began the process of checking their kits. First, they turned on the tiny electronic device known as a Cypers. Cypers stands for Cybernetic Parachute Release System and is the device that releases the reserve chute automatically if a diver is still in freefall at 1,200 feet, which is obviously much lower than they should be. Yeah. If they haven't released by then, they're about six seconds from hitting the ground. Holy shit. Yeah. Most skydivers have one of these devices in case they become incapacitated or knocked unconscious during freefall or 
though they don't like to admit it, if they get distracted while they're up there and forget to pull their chute. Yeah. Stephen confirmed that his cypress was activated, and Stephen gave his gear a quick check to make sure nothing looked amiss. No flaps untucked or frayed closing loops, nothing out of the ordinary. He also made sure the pilot chute was snugly tucked in its sleeve. The pilot chute is a miniature parachute that sits in an elastic sleeve at the bottom of the container with just a padded cushion sticking out. When it's time to deploy the chute, the skydiver will grab a hold of the pad to pull the pilot chute out. Once it hits the air, it inflates and pulls the pin that allows the main parachute to release. After checking their gear, the team got dressed in their jumpsuits and performed a quote-unquote dirt dive, a ritualistic dance mimicking the formations they had to do in the sky. Each new formation would earn them a point in the competition. The three teammates were laughing and joking with each other and hamming it up for their cameraman, who had been drawn from a pool and who they didn't know very well. The cameraman's job was to fly above the team and make sure every point was captured so it could be judged. Now, some people found Steven to be a little cocky, but as a young man competing in an extreme sport, that's pretty common. It's the vibe, no? Yeah. They're young, they're filled with testosterone, and they think they're invincible. So it should come as no surprise that young men with around 200 to 500 jumps, jumping with fast, high-performance parachutes, like the Black Rain team, are the highest risk group for serious injuries. Yeah. All three of the Black Rain teammates had taken an accelerated path to get to their level, racking up as many jumps as possible once they started, far more than the average person. Adrian and Dave were particularly close and had gone through their initial training together. Not only that, they had done nearly all of their dives since together. But for all their cockiness and joking around, the three took safety very seriously. Stephen in particular. Even Adrian and Dave, who had done many jumps in the U.S. where there were less rules and regulations, often found Stephen's rigid adherence to the British Parachute Association's safety manual annoying. Right before boarding the plane, the three men performed a flight line check on each other, making sure that everything was in order. Stephen performed the check on both his teammates, and Dave performed the check on Stephen. Dave had developed a pattern that he used religiously that covered all the safety points in a methodical order. Once he was finished, he patted Stephen's pack, the signal for, you're good to go. There was one other team on the plane for a total of eight skydivers on board. The two three-man teams, plus each team's cameraman. Now, drop zone planes don't have any seats, so the skydivers must sit on the floor facing the rear of the plane, with each person sitting between the legs of the person behind them. The cameramen knelt at the back of the plane and faced forward so they could see everyone on board. When everyone was in position, the pilot fired up the repeller, and the first load of the day was officially underway. As the plane climbed in altitude, Black Rain's videographer turned his camera on and started filming. The footage showed the excited team eagerly awaiting their jump, with Stephen laughing and joking. As they got closer to 13,000 feet, Stephen and his teammates did one last gear check, then did their super sweet secret handshake before they got into position in the door of the airplane. The three men launched themselves into the sky, with their cameraman falling shortly after. Their exit didn't go completely as planned, but they were able to recover after a few seconds and started their formations. After 10 seconds, they had all reached terminal velocity, aka the speed at which you stop accelerating. Which, in case you're curious, is 120 miles per hour. Oh my god. Yeah. For the next 45 seconds, the team continued to change their hand and leg grips, creating new formations and scoring a point for each one. For an intermediate team, 10 points is good and 15 is excellent. On that jump, 
Black Rain earned 19 points. Holy shit. Which, damn. It was the best jump the team had ever done. And they knew before their free fall was even finished. It's a wrap. They, they, yeah. They, they did it. Yeah. That barring a miracle from another team, it basically guaranteed them first place in the competition. Yeah. The three skydivers were exhilarated afterwards, making eye contact and screaming through their huge grins at one another, although it's impossible to hear anything with all the wind. At 4,000 feet, about a minute after they had jumped from the plane, the three men turned away from each other to gain horizontal separation before deploying their parachutes. The cameraman lost sight of them at this point due to the clouds. Before releasing their parachutes, they checked to see where everyone was in the sky so they didn't collide in midair and get their chutes tangled. No one saw Stephen's purple parachute that day, but Adrian remembered seeing a big wad of white fabric. He noted that it was out of place, but was still riding the high from that amazing jump and was more focused on the most dangerous part of skydiving, which is the landing. The chief instructor, Paul Hollow, was on the ground making sure everyone who went up in the plane came back down. Especially with the cloudy weather, it was possible for a skydiver to land in the cornfields, which were taller than the average person at that time, and required a rescue mission. The rescued jumper's penance would be to buy a case of beer that night for everyone else and ring a bell above the bar, hung there specifically for that reason. Thinking there would most likely be free beer tonight, Paul Hollow sent one of his instructors to go pick up what he thought was a skydiver who had landed under their white reserve chute. The instructor came back, confused, with a bundle of white fabric in his arms. Paul's years of experience meant he only had to glance at the parachute in the man's arms to know they were now looking for a body. While a main parachute may be a variety of colors or patterns, only reserve parachutes are white. The fact that the reserve parachute was not attached meant only one thing. Now, while accidents do happen, skydiving deaths are actually pretty rare, like I said before, and they're usually caused by operator error. However, death by a double malfunction, where both chutes fail, is almost unheard of. It's happened on rare occasions, but Paul... I know it happened to Leo DiCaprio, I think. He had a double yeah, parachute but failure? Like, but he had, like, someone else, like, save him, essentially. What? I'll I think he, I think he went twice. He said, like, a bunch of shit happened to him, and it's like, dude, why do you keep doing this? I think he I think he went skydiving twice, and I think he had a double shoot failure the first time, and the second time, I think his like his harness wasn't properly put on and he was like sliding out of it <gasps> holy shit dude that's crazy no fucking thank you um no thank you both of my parents have been skydiving fun fact that's fucking wild it is wild um and i do believe i'll have to ask him what the story is um something for sure happened during my dad's dive unless he was lying to me all these years uh <laughs> which now that i'm really now that i'm having this moment i'm like oh my god did he lie to me all these years fuck maybe Shit. You never tell with Tom. God, you never can tell with Tom. <laughs> God damn it. All right. Uh, but yeah, I feel like it, in his story, if it is true, uh, yeah, something happened and malfunctioned and he like stayed calm under pressure and like managed to solve it in time, obviously, because he's See, still that's alive. also me. I'm not calm under pressure. I feel like I'm you think petrified. you're not and you would you would 100% have to be. Your animal brain would totally take over and like have to, I feel like you would have to be in almost like. I don't know, like autopilot almost. No, that's, I would just like not do anything. I'd be like petrified. And then I would just. I mean. My brain like shuts down when it's very over, like being caught off guard by something 
very intense or very emotional, like I don't act. It's really not a great situation. I just, I'm a freeze in, in the fight or flight. I'm very hardcore free. So if something went wrong, I'm dead because I'm not doing anything. I'm freak. I'm just like, <gasps> I'm, and then splat. That's like, that would be the end of me. I, but I'm very, I know that about myself. I'm not, I'm not a hero. I, I'm never going to be a hero. I was like, well, here's my move usually. Like, yes, definitely the uh, freeze and or flight. But also I'm totally the person that just like tries to like, I don't, I don't want to be like charm my way out of it. Cause like, oh, like I'm so charming. I'm like really, you know, tuning my own horn here. But like, I always just try to like. Girl, you worked, you worked at the Dale Carnegie Institute. I fucking think you're way more charming than I am. <laughs> Stop Hustle it, that stop shit it. more than me. But I feel like I would totally, I was like, this is not a situation where you could do that. Where I'm like, I can't like, t- I can't, can't like talk myself out element. of it. Yeah, charm the parachute and to be like, hi, can you open? If I give you a hand, do you like. <laughs> Trust me, you actually want to release because otherwise I'm going to like haunt you as it goes i'm just like haunt this one parachute so like you should i'm doing you a favor yeah thank you actually all right so my dad and possibly leonardo dicaprio survived a double malfunction we don't know okay so like i said death by a double malfunction incredibly rare basically unheard of it's happened on rare occasions but paul had never seen or heard of an incident where a reserve parachute broke away from the rest of the kit completely Because unlike the main parachute, which has special release rings, so the diver can jettison it if it is malfunctioning, the reserve parachute is permanently attached to the kit. Ah. There is no getting rid of it unless you physically cut it it out with a knife Uh or climb out of the harness in midair. Right. But they just found the chute. They didn't find the harness. Just found the chute. Didn't find the harness. Mm Mm-hmm. Paul climbed on the roof of the drop zone car and scanned the fields until he spotted a large indentation in the corn. Fuck. This time, Paul accompanied the instructor to the scene. There, they found Stephen Hilder lying on the ground, still wearing his skydiving harness. With nothing to slow his descent or break his fall, Stephen had hit the earth at almost 125 miles an hour. So he's just mush. He's not even like a person. They didn't get into it, yeah. fortunately. But that's I'm I'm sure probably Grace can tell that. us all. Yeah, the all the wonderful effects of that oh, much yeah. force on the human body. Grace, um, let us know. Yeah, or, or don't, or you're you're just like it'll get a DM being like it's fucking terrible. Yeah, if you could, you could keep that information to yourself, too, if you want. that's <laughs> fine. We're okay with that. A single glance at Stephen's shoulder area, and Paul knew immediately that Stephen's parachute had been intentionally tampered with. Knowing the damage could not be anything other than deliberate and intended to kill, Paul immediately called the police. When Detective Superintendent Colin Andrews of Humberside Police arrived at the airfield, he knew they were dealing with a dead body. Local police were called, as was protocol, any time there was a death at a drop zone. But they're typically short visits, police would write a brief accident report, and the case was basically closed right away. But when Paul took the detective superintendent aside and informed him that Stephen's equipment had been tampered with, Andrews realized this was no ordinary skydiving accident. But the local police were obviously completely out of their depth when it came to the technicalities of the sport and the equipment, so they called an independent skydiving expert to assist them with the investigation, and John Hitchin from the British Parachute Association arrived to examine the scene. He quickly spotted what was wrong with Stephen's kit, 
that the long piece of webbing that connects the pilot chute to the pin that opens the main parachute had been cut. It wouldn't have been discovered in a normal safety check, as you would have no real reason to pull it out of its sleeve unless you thought something had happened to it for some Uh reason. With the webbing cut, there was nothing to pull the pin and deploy the main parachute. Instead, the pin was still firmly in place, and with where it was positioned, it would have been impossible for Stephen to reach to get it out. Once he realized his main parachute wasn't coming out, he pulled the handle for his white reserve canopy. This time, the parachute launched, but all four pieces of webbing that connected the canopy to the harness had been cut, and with nothing attaching it to Stephen's kit, it just flew away. That is so fucked, and I can't even imagine how terrified you must be in that moment the only comfort i would think is the terror is like literally just seconds and you're not gonna feel anything yes Uh, you know unless it's unless it's like an anson williams thing of like time slowed down to almost nothing then that would just be the fucking worst yes i'm gonna read the following sentence and then we can discuss this Uh a little more yeah And to me, just bracing everyone, this is obviously the most upsetting portion of the story. So all of this happened between 4,000 and 2,000 feet, which means Stephen would have had at least 10 to 20 seconds Mm. of knowing he was going to die and that there was absolutely nothing he could do about it. That's horrifying. Horrifying. Which, like, a couple of seconds I could handle – 20, 20 seconds, seconds is a long time. Is a long fucking time to just be free falling and being like, well, fuck. I just had the best run of my fucking life and I'm going to hit the ground and be fucking done in 10 seconds. It's 20 seconds is longer than a lot of commercials now. For fucking real. And like commercials like, tell an entire story. Right? Like I almost want to challenge all of you to put a 20 second timer on your phone and just sit there and process how long 20 seconds is. To have the full realization that you are going to die and yeah. can do absolutely nothing about it. Yeah, that that sucks. I thought it was like maybe like six seconds, and it's like ugh, that sucks. But twenty, 20 seconds is really seconds, long. Monique, this haunted me. This whole <sighs> story was this like the idea that he had twenty seconds of knowing he was going to die. Mm-hmm. The Cypers still did its job and fired at seven hundred and fifty feet, but. There was no reserve parachute to release. It's already gone. From the second Stephen jumped from the plane, he was a dead man and nothing could have saved him. What was even more unnerving was that whoever had sabotaged his kit knew exactly what they were doing, both in terms of guaranteeing that the sabotage would kill him and making sure it was done in such a way that it wouldn't have been picked up by a regular pre-flight gear check, which meant... It had to have been a fellow skydiver. Yeah. Someone with intimate knowledge of the equipment. Which, if this is just to win a competition, fucking relax. Right? Fucking relax. Like, pull like a queen's gambit and give him like a, get him like really sauced up the night before so that he's hung over. There you go. Don't fucking be like, I'm going to murder you because I want more points than you. Because you're better than me. Yeah. What the fuck? I don't want anything that level. Literally, I don't want anything that level that I'm going to kill someone for it. Uh, well, thank God, honestly, Monique, <laughs> because I think that proves to me that you are not a trash person. Thank you. <laughs> That's I had a moment because I was like, I had a moment where I was like, ah, can I say the same? I was like, 
I guess I have to now because now if I don't, I look like the trash person of all trash people. No, it's like trash queen. <laughs> That's me. You are not. Stop. No, I that guilt forever for what? Because it's like for what? For what? Yeah. Because you want a competition that means what in the real world? Nothing. You're not going to yes. fucking be like, you're not going to be Jeff Bezos. You're not going to be the CEO of anything. No one's going to give a fuck. It actually doesn't mean anything. Yes. In a hundred years, when everyone's dead, it's not going to mean anything. No one's going to give a shit. No one's um, going to know who the fuck you are. By the way, I just have to pause and give Monique credit because um, in all of my research, never once did anyone suggest that they might have done it like out of some sort of like competitive like edge situation that's the only thing that makes sense to me i can't that, imagine like, didn't it's someone get... who's like this guy is a dick and he needs to be taken down because he's arrogant like no it's like maybe yeah he's arrogant because he's good at it and this is at a competition this is tanya harding shit i'm intrigued you might be onto something you might be onto something here i don't see how it's anything else I I had my brain went somewhere totally Where did yours different. go? I I can't tell you. I have to wait to the end, I feel like. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. I'm jumping ahead. No, it's totally fine. Okay. Um I'm curious <laughs> to see where your brain went because I'm like, it, this is clearly competition bullshit. Also, <laughs> I'm an actor and sense. I'm used to like very like cutthroaty like people who yeah. like they fuck with you in the like waiting room of the audition to, get the yeah. to like get in your head and shit. Mm-hmm. it can be very petty um so that's just where my brain goes i like this is you always say like you're not the investigative type but i think <laughs> uh, you've just proven us wrong like come on investigator monique over here fucking calling this shit i mean this shit's wild this is so fucking fucked up and terrible i like Girl, can't, can't deal it's really it's really crazy so the drop zone was officially declared a crime scene, and everyone on the airfield was asked not to leave until they had spoken to police. Detective Superintendent Andrews was sure that whoever had killed Stephen Hilder was there and had watched him die. Yeah. So the police set to work interviewing the nearly 100 people at the drop zone, mm. and all of them willingly submitted to a DNA test. Okay. Surprisingly, as soon as they were allowed, the other skydivers immediately performed a more thorough check on their gear, with police insisting that everyone pop out their reserve parachutes to check that they hadn't been tampered with. Mm -hmm. Which was actually kind of a big deal because reserves are so rarely deployed and they have to be specifically repacked by yeah. a certified reserve packer. So it's not something you're allowed to just do yourself. Uh-huh. Basically, police were trying to determine if Stephen had been intentionally targeted or if someone was possibly targeting just like random skydivers. Yeah. yeah. But there was no evidence that any other rig had been tampered with. Police then asked John Hitchin, the BPA expert, to cut some of Stephen's reserve chute webbing to send to the forensics lab. They gave him a pair of kitchen shears, but they were kind of like crappy and loose and uh -huh. they weren't able to cut through the material. So Hitchin asked for a hook knife instead, which is a tool specifically designed for that purpose and is a standard part of a skydiver's kit. They're used as a last resort to cut through any equipment that has malfunctioned and could cause a hazard by, like, wrapping around your limbs. Since every skydiver carries one, police now had about 100 potential murder weapons on their hands to deal with. How do you even, like, find out which one it is? Unless it's like, oh, I also accidentally, like, cut my hand. 
and blood all over it when I like when I cut the thing. Forensic, yeah, forensic fiber analysis, I guess, was basically Isn't what fiber it is. analysis kind of horseshit? I don't, Grace. 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 I would think so. Grace. We need you back. On. Yeah, am I going to Google this? No. Tell me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm obsessed with you. I want a story with it. I want a Grace story with my request for information, please. Yeah, absolutely. So, police also requested all the photos and videos taken during the party the night before, hoping to shed some light on the events leading up to Stephen's death. Investigators asked everyone there if they could think of any motive for the murder, but no one could come up with anything. I just gave Every- you one. What the fuck? Right? No That's one's putting this together. Like, this is a no competition. One, no one said, like, oh, yeah, they were really good, and that fucking guy is bitter as fuck and wants them out of here. Yeah. They're not no, I'm telling you, when you said that to me, I was like, oh my god, that's so obvious now that I feel ridiculous that, like, one, it wasn't mentioned at all, and two, literally never you know occurred what? to me. This is, like, some, like, Agatha Christie shit, like, Murder on the Orient Express, spoiler, um, everyone fucking did it. All their punishment. Right? That's what I'm gonna fucking say. <laughs> is that true? Is that on the ends? I've never seen it. Yeah, it's, they all did it. They all murdered the guy. <laughs> that's great. There you go. Yeah. Let's spread the blame. That's how you get away with it. Everyone had motive beats an opportunity and they all took it. There you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, good. Now I don't have to watch it. Thank you. Ready. Oh, it's all right. It's fine. <laughs> it's very stylized and beautiful. But it's, yes. You know, it's fine. <laughs> uh, so police asked if there was any motive for the murder. No one could come up with anything. And everyone who'd interacted with Stephen said he was fun-loving and popular and an enthusiastic participant in everything. Police were able to determine a time frame and believe the sabotage must have happened sometime between Stephen's last jump on Wednesday and the early hours of Friday morning. They also knew they had a finite number of suspects, since it had to be a skydiver who had been at the drop zone during that window. The police eventually left with over 200 pieces of potential evidence— Convinced the cuts had been made with a hook knife and with everyone's DNA samples to compare against Stephen's equipment, authorities thought it was going to be basically just like open an open and shut thing. Like, yeah. you fucking figure this out, no problem. The skydivers, including Adrian and Dave, were back in the air paying tribute to their fallen comrade. However, they all added an extra step in their pre-flight checks. Firmly tugging on the reserve webbing was now a standard part of the safety routine. Over the next week, police interviewed friends, family, skydivers who had been at the drop, and Stephen's girlfriend, Ruth, again attempting to find some motive for his murder. The worst anyone could come up with was that Stephen could come off as a little arrogant sometimes. Police reviewed all the footage from the night before, but all they saw was Stephen and his teammates dressed in their thrift store dresses, singing bad karaoke, and having a good time. There was no sign of any tension, arguments, or fights. In fact, any sort of aggression or violence was rare at a drop zone and would have quickly been noticed by those there. The forensic how is, lab... How, how are 200 people now putting together this is a fucking competition? God. This is not RuPaul's best friends race. A pe- yeah, I guess because every it's so serious to all of them that like it, it would never occur to them that you would risk a competitor's li- like a person's life just to win a contest? Dude. I mean, that sounds nuts, but fucking Tanya Harding did that shit. And people do crazier shit for I mean, stupid yeah, reasons, do, let's be honest. It's our whole yeah. podcast. People do the craziest shit. Like, Literally. It seemed like a good idea at the time. And you're like, how? How was that the case? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
was too real. It's too real. So the forensic lab had hundreds of items to test, which was an expensive and time-consuming process. They eventually performed a forensic analysis on everything, but the lab discovered nothing noteworthy on the vast majority of the items, and police were disappointed to find that the slashed webbing had many people's DNA on them, making it impossible to pick out individuals from the mix. Which, to be fair, wasn't completely unexpected. As well as Stephen's DNA, there would have been DNA of anyone who had packed his reserve, since he wasn't qualified to pack his own as well as DNA from the first responders and people who had been on the plane with him. One week later, and police still had no firm suspects. Their next step was to send a message to all 4,000 active skydivers in the UK appealing for help in the investigation into Stephen's death. The message asked for any information about who may have committed the crime, or alternatively, if Stephen would have ever contemplated taking his own life. The mention of suicide seemed to just be covering all the possibilities, though. While several skydivers had chosen that option over the decades, including one in which the man actually climbed out of his harness in midair while his horrified friend filmed the entire thing, Holy which, like, fuck. I just have to say, fuck you, dude, for doing that to your friend. That is so not cool. At all. Yeah. At fucking all. Fuck you. But there was nothing in Steven's demeanor in the footage that day that suggested he was in any way suicidal. The jump was a spectacular success and would have taken a lot of concentration and coordination to pull off. What's more, Stephen deployed his parachute at the correct height and went through all of the emergency protocols correctly. The media scrutiny in the weeks following Stephen's death was intense. His parents made impassioned pleas for anyone with information to come forward. Stephen's teammates gave an interview to the press in which they relived the day their most impressive jump ever became the worst of their lives. They said Stephen had been excited and seemed like his normal, upbeat self before the jump. Dave said he felt guilty because he had been the one to do Stephen's gear check and had found nothing amiss. However, experts agreed the tampering would not have been noticeable in a standard gear check. The media was soon reporting that the police had ruled out suicide because of Stephen's upbeat mood and his actions in trying to save his own life. He just wouldn't have deployed the fucking parachute. Even though, like, the other one will, like, go automatically. It, it doesn't there make sense. There is a possible sense. reason that it may, that I will obviously bring up just to play devil's advocate. Right. Unless it's like, he was like, I'm going to do this. And he's like, oh, fuck. Is that actually going to happen? Possibly something else, too, which when they said, I was like, all right, that like could have been. Mm. But I mean, I'm kind of like with you. We're on the same page here, 100%, obviously. And I like, yeah, don't think you would do all of that if you genuinely thought you were going to die and had planned it. Yeah. On July 12th, an article in The Times said, quote, the death of Stephen was neither an accident nor a suicide. This was not a prank gone wrong, and the killer is most certainly a skydiver. He or she may strike again, end quote. Despite these ominous words, skydiving returned more or less to normal, although many skydivers began locking their parachutes in their cars when they weren't using them. Three weeks later, Stephen's death was featured on the UK TV show Crime Watch. Police hoped the show would convince someone to come forward with information. The police also released video footage of the night before, hoping it would jog someone's memory or that someone would notice something they had missed. The episode of Crime Watch did result in several phone calls and several people said they had information about an argument that had taken place at the party the night before. Interestingly enough, 
two women who called in provided the same name to authorities independently of one another, and the name was quietly moved up the list oh, of suspects. Shit. Four weeks after his death, on Thursday, July 31st, 2003, Stephen Hilder was finally laid to rest. His funeral was attended by hundreds of mourners, including skydivers, college friends, military personnel, as well as the investigating detectives. Adrian Blair joined the Guard of Honor and was one of the six pallbearers who carried Stephen's coffin into the church. A month later, and detectives were starting to get frustrated. They had been sure they were going to find evidence of foul play, but nothing had come to light. There were rumors that he had gotten into an argument with another skydiver during a competition he attended from May 2nd to the 4th, but no one came forward with any more information. They decided they needed fresh eyes on the case, and on August 27th, senior officers from across the UK were called to review the evidence. The detective in charge, Steve Clay, had authorities send out another message to all the registered skydivers in the UK, this time with a profile of the culprit which said, quote, the person who committed this dreadful crime probably has no criminal history and is likely to be a well-educated young man with a bright future, end quote. They believed he was likely to have told a loved one about the crime and encouraged people to contact them if they had any information. But when the mail-out didn't have the desired response, police then took out a full-page ad in Skydive the magazine asking for assistance in tracing the murderer. U.S. skydivers responded with the stories of two remarkably similar incidents of sabotage in 1996 and 1997. Neither were solved, and both cases technically remained open. U.S. law enforcement provided the names of all of those present at the time of the attempted murders in the United States, but nothing came of the information. The similarities in the cases seemed to be coincidence, which wasn't surprising since the method of tampering was one any experienced skydiver would recognize as being both completely effective and likely to go unnoticed. Then, on October 22, 2003, three and a half months after Stephen's death, the police announced two arrests. The police did not release the names to the press, but Stephen's commanding officer contacted newspapers to let them know that the men arrested were none other than Stephen's teammates. Adrian Blair, and David Mason. The two were kept apart and questioned separately. It was revealed that David often played pranks on Stephen, including one time when he tampered with Stephen's gear, pulling out the pilot chute, which caused the pin to dislodge and the parachute to fall out of the bag. But according to Dave, the prank was harmless. There was no way it wouldn't have been noticed in a safety check, so it was more annoying than truly dangerous. It was his way of poking fun at Stephen's adherence to the rules and being so strict with safety regulations. While some were quick to condemn Stephen's two teammates, others were willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. I mean, the team had pulled off the best jump of their lives that day, and to do that, knowing you were about to watch one of your teammates die seems like it would have been incredibly difficult. The thing that, that isn't making sense to me is don't you want to win yes so why are you gonna kill your teammate yeah there you go that's a very good and question. especially if he's like the best he's the guy yeah you want him on your team yeah unless the envy is just so outrageous it's like fine i'm gonna let you um help me win this one last one and then go fuck yourself it's a wrap. I can't fucking imagine that. Which again, like what? I don't understand. People do it, but like I don't understand. Yeah. No, I don't give a fuck about anything that much. Girl, Truly. 
I don't. Girl. <laughs> yes. Maybe that says something negative about me, but I don't give a fuck about anything. I don't think so. That's fine. Nihilism. Yeah. Thank you. Nothing matters. There we go. Worry about it. We're all gonna die. We're all gonna die. That's fine. There you go. <laughs> Adrian and David were brought in for questioning and held overnight at separate police stations. After 48 hours, they were released on bail without charge, but the police refused to eliminate them from the investigation. Three weeks later, on November 17th, police announced another arrest. This time, no name was released, but a 24-year-old student from Leeds University was taken into custody and questioned about Stephen's death. After 56 hours of questioning, the man was also released on bail, but was told to return to the police station in a year to check in. His name was never released to the skydiving community. Yeah, the whole, like, you gotta check in in a year thing was very sketchy. It's very yeah. extra sketch, yeah. By the end of January 2004, police had interviewed 2,500 people about Stephen's death. Holy shit. Which is fucking crazy. But they still had no motive for Stephen's murder. Detectives even set up a room at the BPA's annual meeting, hoping someone would come forward with new information. When that too turned out to be a bust, police began to question whether they were even dealing with a murder and started to wonder if Stephen Hilder had in fact committed suicide. Police changed their line of questioning to Stephen's friends and family. They knew his obsession with skydiving had caused him to neglect other parts of his life, including his girlfriend and his studies. His mother had spoken to him the Friday before the competition and said that he had been his usual talkative self. He had even taken his dad to a Bon Jovi concert for his birthday the Saturday before he left on his trip. And again, his dad said he appeared to be his usual self. No one had noticed Stephen acting any different, and everyone insisted that he was not the type to take his own life. There are no reports of what happened with the case over the next six weeks, but it was clear police still considered Adrian and Dave suspects. On March 10th, 2004, detectives randomly searched the rooms of both men without warning. On David's computer, they found a draft of an obituary for Stephen, written in a humorous style for a skydiving magazine. Although the police found the contents disturbing and inappropriate, David said it was misconstrued and that it was not uncommon for skydivers to have a dark sense of humor. For example, the traditional toast for when a jumper loses his life is blue skies, black death. Also, they included a, like, dark humor skydiver joke in here, which I am going to include so you have a taste of it, but is it in poor taste? Okay. Sure, of course. Okay. So what's the difference between a bad golfer and a bad skydiver? A bad golfer goes whack, shit. And a bad skydiver goes, shit, whack. Oof. Right? Like, dark. Real dark. Yeah. yeah. But, like, that's their vibe. Damn. Yeah, that's their jam. But whatever police were looking for, they obviously didn't find. Because two weeks later, both men were notified that they were no longer suspects and had been cleared of any involvement. With all the suspects cleared and no others appearing, police continued to investigate the suicide theory. Lab tests found minute fibers from the cut webbing on the clothes Stephen was wearing beneath his jumpsuit. However, the findings were inconclusive. If he had done his gear check before putting on the jumpsuit, it would be perfectly reasonable for fibers to have been transferred on them. 
Then a pair of scissors surfaced. They had been found in the locked trunk of Stephen's car and were determined to be the tool used to sabotage Stephen's parachute. Not only did the scissors have the same fibers on the blades, but they also only contained Stephen's DNA. But here's the thing. Yes, the trunk of Stephen's car was locked. However, the side doors the car were wasn't. unlocked and Stephen had left the keys in the ignition of the car. So yeah. anyone would have been able to access the trunk at any time. Yeah. And I mean, and if you have like gloves. Girl, my next sentence is literally, additionally, skydivers frequently wear gloves and it would not have been seen as unusual to see someone walking around even in hot weather, wearing them. Which could explain why Stephen's DNA was the only one found on the scissors. Still looking into Stephen's personal life, police heard about the time he told Adrian and Dave that if he were to commit suicide, that he would want to jump out of a plane. There were also reports that Stephen had been under the impression that he had failed his college exams, though the school said that this wasn't the case. Stephen had also managed to rack up 17,000 pounds in debt and maxed out his credit cards, mostly on skydiving. There was also that 11-mile drive to the gas station for junk food, which police found odd because, one, there were plenty of gas stations closer to the airfield, so it was a place you'd have to deliberately go and seek out. And two, he didn't actually get any gas while he was there, which, considering how low his fuel was in his car yeah. at the time of his death, it seemed like a little suspicious. Yeah, like he's like, I don't need this car. Yes. It was suggested that he may have been picking up drugs for the party. However, there was no proof of any drug use. Finally, despite giving the impression that he was very much in love with his girlfriend and their relationship was solid... Ruth told authorities that their relationship had been on the rocks and they were at the point of splitting up. As for why he would have staged such an elaborate suicide, several theories emerged. That perhaps Stephen, who had recently converted to Catholicism, which obviously considers suicide a sin, didn't want to appear as though he had resorted to taking his own life. Well, if, okay, if that's the bullshit that we're going to say... It's a possibility. God knows. Right? I was like, you did he's not going to be fooled. He's going to be like, what happened? This is crazy. Right? Like, I thought Saint that Peter was bullshit. going to read the book of your life. Be like, hey, remember when you cut your own shit? And like, like, hi, we have the video just right here. You that, like, <laughs> that's really just because you tricked it's that, the humans into thinking that like, we're, we're gods. What stupid. are you talking about? Yes. If that is what happened, that's fucking stupid. Right? I don't think so. I don't believe so. I don't think so, because cause doesn't everyone know that, like, you know, is, isn't the whole gig that God knows everything? Like, isn't that, yeah. like, a universal thing that yeah. that's the construct? I think he's omniscient. Whether you believe in God or not, yes, yeah. you know, omniscient yeah. and omnipotent. Those are his things. Right? He's got the two things. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. the gig. <sighs> Fools. I'm calling bullshit. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think that's likely. This next theory... I found slightly more likely, though, I gotta be honest, like, I don't think this would have actually, like, occurred to me at 20 if I was, like, depressed and trying to off myself. So some people suggested that he wanted to make sure his parents could cash in any life insurance policy. 
or maybe he just didn't want to give himself the chance to change his mind. I I understand the second one, the like not changing your mind. I think the insurance policy one is like you're thinking way too much into it. Unless you know for a fact your like, family is impoverished and really like needs that money dearly. Did he have a life insurance policy? I, d- I they did not confirm whether he did or not. I would assume so if you're skydiving though, if that's like your hobby. I would I feel like your parents would be like we I need would to hope. take yeah. Also, I don't know what the uh the payout was. Yeah, or I was going to say, I don't know what the, like, UK insurance system is. I don't know if it's, like, sure. us where you're, like, on your parents' thing until you're 25 or whatever, and maybe it was part of that. Right. Know, that's, like, health insurance and not life insurance. Those are different things, but, you know. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> I bought my parents' life insurance plan until I'm 26. <laughs> until I die. Thanks. And then after that, if I die, that's Whoops. my bad. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly 10 months after Stephen's death, Detective Superintendent Colin Andrews announced that they were no longer treating the death as a murder, and instead it had been scaled down to a quote-unquote unexplained death. However, many skydivers remained unconvinced, with one saying, quote, Come on, people. We all know that no skydiver would ever commit suicide in this bizarre way. End quote. None of Stephen's family, his friends, his girlfriend, or skydivers, whether they knew him or didn't, believed the story that Stephen Hilder had committed suicide and staged his own murder. Suicides were not unheard of in skydiving, but to do so in such an elaborate manner, which would cast suspicion on innocent people while also displaying no outward signs of nerves, depression, distraction, or concern, is absolutely unthinkable. Stephen turned on his cypers, he went through all the emergency procedures at the right stages, And these are not the actions of someone changing his mind at the last minute and trying to save his own life. Most of all, none of the skydivers believed it would have been possible to pull off the most incredible skydive of your life under the pressure of competition, knowing you only had seconds to live. Yeah. As for the remark Stephen had made about dying by skydiving, it's Honestly, an incredibly common sentiment among skydivers, with the idea being that at least you'll die doing what you love. Dude, Donna can't uh, do, like, high-velocity rides anymore, and her her favorite ride is the Tower of Terror. And she's <gasps> told me on many an occasion, uh, yes. when she knows it's a wrap, to take her on the Tower of Terror so that that's how she dies. Yes! Yes! So, while it seems she's ominous... not suicidal. No! <laughs> she's just like, hey, when it's that time... That's yeah, my sure. thing, take yes. Take the Tower of Terror. Yes. Let it be Disney's problem. So, (laughs) exactly. While it seems ominous in retrospect, the comment's, like, most likely a casual one. The way you might say, like, oh my god, if I'm gonna die, like, I wanna die having sex. Like, right? people say that. That's not really how they fucking wanna die. Like, what? Doesn't mean they're also gonna try to off themselves while they're... Oh god, girl. Honestly, I'd rather be me than the other way. I don't wanna deal with the, the opposite situation. Absolutely not. Yeah, for sure. I'm totally on the same boat with you. <laughs> I mean, I think that's I everyone's preference. I don't think anyone's like, die. oh my god, I just like, I, if as long as I live, I don't care if he dies inside of me. It's fine. Like, no. that's, that's And normal. then deal with the evacuation of bowels oh, immediately. Get so. out of here, Moody! <laughs> no, thank you. <sighs> Traumatized. Okay. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. I didn't do it to you this time. You had one... Uh, comment about evacuating your bowels and i'm out there you go i respect Uh, that thank you you shouldn't but thank you (laughs) 
While Stephen was in a fair amount of debt, several of his friends had known and said he wasn't worried about it. Ruth also said that there was no way their relationship status would have caused him to be suicidal. They were only casually seeing one another, and neither of them were the clingy type. She said they'd been happy with what they had, and the decision to split had been a mutual one. One friend said, quote, Steve was the kind of person who worried about something only when it was absolutely staring him in the face. His attitude was always, it'll be okay, no matter how unrealistic that was. Splitting up with his girlfriend, being in debt, and having possibly failed exams wouldn't worry him until the point where he'd been declared bankrupt, been chucked out of uni, and seen his girlfriend with a new bloke. End quote. Stephen's closest friend, non-skydiver Jason Saunders, told The Independent that Stephen had discussed his plans for the future during their last conversation, discussing the play that he and Ruth were going to be in, amongst other things. In March 2005, a coroner's inquest was finally launched into Stephen's death. The inquest was told that the police investigations had led them to the conviction that Stephen had not been murdered. However, Ruth remained adamant, saying, quote, There is just no way. I've looked back on the whole relationship, and even in hindsight, I couldn't find a single thing to suggest he would have killed himself or why anyone would kill him, end quote. She also said that Stephen was knowledgeable about forensics and that, quote, if he was going to stage something, he wouldn't just chuck the scissors in the back of the boot, end quote. Boom, one of us. Right? They're everywhere. <laughs> even in the skies, Monique. Okay. Yes. On March 23rd, 2005, nearly two years after Stephen Helder fell to his death, the coroner returned an open verdict, which is an official statement saying that there has been a death, but not naming the cause of death. Coroner Stuart Atkinson acknowledged that police had found no evidence that any third party had been involved in the sabotage of the skydiver's equipment, but added that he was unable to record a verdict of suicide because he could not be sure the skydiver intended to take his own life, and forensics left out as to whether Stephen had tampered with his own equipment. Unfortunately, to this day, Stephen's case remains open and unsolved. Police believe it was an elaborate suicide plot, while his friends and family and those who knew him best adamantly deny that he was suicidal and firmly believe that Stephen Hilder was murdered on July 4th, 2003. I will leave it up to you to make your own conclusions from that information. But there you go. That is the unsolved mystery of the death of Stephen Hilder. That is so fucked up. Super fucked up, right? As if jumping out of a plane and falling through the sky isn't terrifying enough. Girl. That, assuming it's the, like, murder angle, that someone did this to you? Yes. That's horrifying. Horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. So the thought I had while I was writing this story and researching this story was I couldn't stop thinking about the fact that those who suffer from psychopathy, they seek out like adrenaline, right? Yeah. yeah they yeah. seek out like, like adrenaline inducing behavior because that's yeah. the thing that like makes them feel alive. Yes. Which... The odds are probably small, but it's very possible that someone who, I always feel weird saying psychopath, but who is a psychopath, yeah, took up skydiving as a way to like get that adrenaline fix. And then it's uh -huh. one of those things like you've made 200, 500 jumps. 
are you getting that same fix anymore? So uh-huh. is it possible if this we're going in this he was murdered situation that this is strictly almost like a, I don't want to say serial killer situation because he doesn't have official multiple murders under his I see. Cell. Okay. But is this so someone it's... who's then seeking more adrenaline-inducing behavior because it's like, not only am I going to do this thing that's super dangerous, but I'm actually going I'm to watch intentionally, it. yeah, do something that's going to result in the death of someone else and I'm going to get a fucking way with it. And I'm going to be there and I'm going to watch it all happen and still fucking get away with it. I mean... It's obviously, like, off the rails for a yeah. theory, but... I don't think it's that off the rails, That's though. where my brain went, was, like, basically, it's a psychopath who sought out skydiving because that fueled Needed their, another high. Yep. And then that wasn't enough anymore, and they decided to do something else. I mean, I don't think it's that off the rails, because you see with people who... You, you see it more in, in people who become, like, serial murderers is that the the behavior escalates yes so that's where my head was at Uh the competitive thing makes a lot of sense though honestly that seems more like one of those occam's razor things where like it's the simplest solution yeah like to me i'm like that's just common sense to me and it's so funny that my brain's like that doesn't make any sense like why would you kill somebody just to win a competition that's stupid like obviously there's a serial killer in your midst like that makes sense (laughs) that's the logical solution how am I the more rational of the two I of us? I know, Moni. What is happening? You're corrupting I don't know. me. I... Are we Freaky Friday? <gasps> I think so. Oh my God, I've always wanted to be this tall. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. I have legs for days. You're so funny. Instead <laughs> of these little sausages I'm walking around on. Oh, shut the fuck up. Everyone thinks you look like Scarlett Johansson because you're gorgeous. Yeah, so shut you. the fuck up. <laughs> you know, I think on the surface, you're. you're Theory sounds cuckoo bananas, but I really don't think it's that off. Right? I think it's that wild. I think it has some merit. And I also think if they are, if that is the situation, they're smart enough to know to fucking lay low for a while so yeah. that you don't suspect them. If there's no death like this for a lo- like a couple years, yeah, no one's going to think anything of it. I mean, like, because I think about Gacy, right? He, his first murder was a fuck up. It was like he had taken a younger boy home who I think I think was a sex worker and they like had a you know, their night together and then he like thought something was happening or like I think he thought he was stealing from him or something. And basically he was like the the kid, because he was like a kid, was making him breakfast. And when he turned around, like I think like the knife got like into the it was like oh, fuck. But then there was that thing of, like, it was an accident, but then that, like, adrenaline was like, oh, I kind of like that, though. I like that, yeah. I like that. Yeah. So it's, I don't think it's out of, because you you see it a lot in, in the serial killer lore of that just, the behavior escalates and the, the peeping, the peeping no longer is doing it. So now then you have to, like, go and, like, assault the victim. That's, you know, tying them up isn't doing it. Now you have to rape them. That isn't doing it anymore. Now you have to choke. That, you know, it, it yes. escalates. yes. Um, it's an interesting theory. I I, I don't think that's as nuts as it sounds. Thank you. Yeah, that's honestly like the first thing that came to mind where I was like, okay, like, I just don't fucking think he committed suicide. I really fucking don't. I don't either. It's It seems very odd to me. Like the, the behavior doesn't seem to align. No. And like, I know what, there's no motive, quote unquote, but like yeah. people don't fucking need motive. They do that 
shit just to fucking do that shit. Come on. Absolutely. And I have heard of, of you know, people who, when they make the decision to, to die by suicide, that they're very euphoric and yes. they're very happy. Yes. So I can see that. Like, I know uh, I had a friend who, his, like, school teacher died by suicide and the day before was like super happy and was like giving away all her stuff like it you know her pencils and whatever the fuck and then like the next day i was like she's not coming to class because they found her you know yeah fuck. in her in her apartment um so i understand that as well but yeah they addressed that a little bit in the book and they said that while yes typically there is like right before they do it that period of euphoria usually before that there are signs of depression there usually is a period of depression mm-hmm. which would indicate that the euphoria was like a result of that of the like decision being made and like i'm gonna do yeah this. absolutely so, yes. like great i'm free amazing yeah totally. yes exactly yes but according to them like he, he's not depressed yeah he never he had a depressed, period yeah. of depression no and the only thing i could think of that really like <laughs> gave like a point in the suicide favor thing was the fact that the car didn't have any gas in it despite going to the gas station. I mean, yes. But However, also, if it you're doesn't debt, seem like, yeah. And you're like, don't have a lot of money and all your credit cards are maxed out and you're like, I have enough to get like there and back. It's fine. Like, I'll just fucking worry yeah, about it, it when just I'm seems done. Like, yeah. Like, it seems like one of those people who's like, whatever, I'll figure it out. It'll work out. It's yeah. Fine. Yeah. I don't, have to I don't have to stress about this. It'll be fine. I can get gas from someone else. Whatever. I mean, I'll siphon it later. For free. Exactly. Like, he just seems like that kind of person. Yeah. So, again, I'll leave it up to you, whether you think this Yeah, is... let us know where, where you fall on this. Yeah. Uh, I'm very curious. Yeah. If my uh, serial killer, my skydiving serial killer theory is ridiculous, let me know. Um, and if you think it was just uh, for the points, they did it for the win, tell Monique. Tell us. Yeah. Let us know. Um, that was... Fucking crazy. Uh, but you did an amazing job at it. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope everyone ins- enjoyed our little unsolved mystery for the week. Yeah. I-, I like to have something with some uh, finality to it. So I felt weird doing something that was like open-ended. Yeah. But I-, I felt comfortable enough with the information provided yeah. that everyone would feel satisfied with the story. And wouldn't be like, what the fuck? This is like a fucking cliffhanger. Some bullshit. Yeah, I think your assessment makes it okay. Okay, good. Because there actually was another instance of the sabotaging the parachute to try to murder uh, somebody. And that was a husband doing it to his wife. And that, she survived, first of all. Thank goodness. Uh, And yeah, that motherfucker went to fucking jail. Because they were like, "Uh, yeah, hi, you very obviously did it. Thanks. Right. So... There is that too, which that was also an interesting, crazy story, but I preferred a little mystery this week, so. Yeah. I mean, because I'm really not into, like, he he died by suicide. It, it's, in a weird way, kind of reminded me a little bit of that Unsolved Mysteries episode, the new one, with, like, the mom and the lake. I thought of that with the gas thing too, because she yes. filled up her tank. And I can remember like literally going on like a rant to you where I was like, I would ne- in the cold depths of winter, I would never fill up my gas tank if I was going to kill myself in 15 minutes. And Absolutely you're gonna not. like fucking walk down in high heeled boots, stiletto boots to like a creek. Get the fuck out of here. No. In the yeah. snow? No. I, 
I do feel like I read something right after it had come out, so obviously it's been a while since then, that was basically um, kind of more information on her mental health, Mm. which I guess she did have some issues um, with, like, paranoia and delusions. But who the fuck doesn't? Yeah. For real, like, we're all kind of hanging on by a thread. Or is it just me? I don't know. (laughs) Girl. Too real. Yes. Hanging on by a thread. I feel like that was also like particularly fitting for this episode. Oh shit! I didn't even realize. I love it. No, I realized it because I'm a dark, sick fuck over here, and I'm like, yes. No, because you put the pieces together. (laughs) The morbid pun. What about the puzzles, Monique? (laughs) Ah, well, your story was amazing. Thank you for giving us something beautiful and sweet and heartwarming to uh, balance out the awfulness of crashing into the ground at 125 miles an hour. Ah, fuck. Um, yet another reason why I'll never go skydiving. The worst part is I I was like, are we going to, we're going to have to have this conversation where I'm like, oh my God, would you ever go skydiving? And then you're going to ask me and I'm going to have to say yes, because both of my parents have gone. So now I can't be the person who's like, mm, no, I'm too scared. No, it's like, this isn't like, well, you know, both of my parents got like college education. So I probably should. This is like, you could die. No, thanks. <laughs> go with Christina. Christina, I hope you're listening to this fucking episode. Does Stop she want to go? She's gone like twice. What? Christina! Yes. You that bitch is crazy. Badass. Yeah, that bitch is crazy. Damn. I love her, but she is. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing any of that. A little adrenaline junkie. I fucking love she, it. Yeah, she told me that the first time she went, that the like mammalian survival instinct, like, kicked on high gear so quickly that she fucking sure and she saw the plane going away for her and she literally reached for the plane like like if she could get it chills 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 i don't need that oh my god thank you i can live my life without experiencing that that's so real yeah no thank you (laughs) (laughs) christina you're amazing kudos to you oh for sure i mean but i'm not doing any of that shit Here's the thing. I'm not going to seek it out if I it comes to me and it's a like, I'm either going to have to do this or look like I'm a scaredy pants. I might, I might just kind of like mentally shut down a little bit and like go on autopilot. Like I basically wouldn't even be there. No, I mean, if I'm jumping out of a plane, it's because like the plane's on fire and I have to jump out of a plane. And even that, I might take the flaming death. <laughs> Versus I the, mean, seeing it, it, it like coming up at me. No. Yeah, I'd be like, could I get like another free prosecco flight attendant, please, before I have to do this? Um. Oh my god. Yeah, no. No, man. That's none of that. No, thank you. I'm not doing any of that. You know what? Uh, Fair, rational. You shouldn't be like, fuck yeah, jumping out of a plane. That sounds amazing. No. I thought about it for a second, and I'm like, no. You know, no, I don't need to do that. I I can't see you skydiving. No. I'll do that that bullshit indoors. Oh. Like Las Vegas. Yeah, I'll yeah. do that. Okay. Where, like, they basically just, like, pull you out in front of a really powerful fan and you float. I'm like, yeah, I'll do that all day long. That's great. Amazing. Not die. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, no, no. 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 And especially <laughs> since I'm someone... <laughs> I can't overstate this enough. Just, no. No. 
Especially since I'm someone whose first experience doing everything is really terrible. <gasps> oh, no. Yeah, no. And things go wrong a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't need that. Yeah. Again, we it's don't need to roll the dice. I need. We don't need to roll the dice. No. no. Keep, the, keep, keep those dice right in your pocket. Snake eyes. Play CeeLo on the streets <laughs> instead. Bam. There you go. World Series of Dice. Hey. Um, <laughs> that was such a great Chappelle. Uh, uh, yeah, it really is. It really is. Uh, but thank you for that. That uh, just added fear to something I already uh, intrinsically fear, which is jumping out of a plane. Good. I'm glad I could provide this in your thank you in your life. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you again for your story. I fucking love celebrity ghost stories, and I mean, it makes it's so me want to go watch a bunch of it right now. It's so good. And thank you guys so much for listening. Did we reintroduce the show? I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> Well, if you made it this far, <laughs> guess it's what? another fucking horror podcast. Wow. You know what? You didn't forget, Monique. I didn't I forget. Forgot. It was gone. Yep. At the 11th hour. Kudos. Thank you. Uh, so this is another fucking horror podcast. I'm Monique Sanchez, and you can find me at Pinup Girl Mo. I'm Amy Trayton, and you can find me at Lobotomy, and that's Lobot period Amy. You can find our show on the gram at Another Fucking Horror Podcast. Every sixth episode, we do a True Listener Tales episode where we read all of your crazy shit on the air. So you can email us your stories at Another Fucking Horror Podcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the you and fucking. And as always, keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.